0: Here's to the people whose trauma did not give them thick skin. The ones who became more sensitive and insecure, who cry more easily, who get more overwhelmed at small things. I'm so tired of the narrative that trauma makes you tough and untouchable. We're survivors, not superheroes. That quote is from Jules Ryland. Great words, Jules. Exit Up is dedicated to the misfits, the mess ups, the miss outs, the effed up, the fed up, the throwaways, the lost, the forgotten, and everyone else who's been used and abused by organized religion. No matter who you are or where you are, you are anything but alone. This is your place. It's a wonderful day somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, where I am currently seated in the Mobile Studio, otherwise known as my 2001 Ford Focus. I'm looking out at the pier, where there are harbor seals and bald eagles and blue herons. And as if that wasn't awesome enough, you and I get to spend a few minutes together. This is Episode 2, Attack of the Mecca Messiah. I should probably begin this episode with a little backstory on me. My name is Zawin Green. It wasn't my name at birth, but it is my legal name. I grew up in church, Pentecostal church. I cut my teeth, as the saying goes, on the church pews. According to my mother, the first word I ever spoke as a baby was the name Jesus. She later told me that when I was really young, I came to her one day and informed her that I had had a dream, and that in this dream, Jesus gave me a fishing pole and made me a fisher of men. At three years of age, I was known to go out and about and witness to people, young and old, about Jesus. Years later, I went to Christian school, the notorious ACE school system known as Accelerated Christian education. Believe me, folks, we'll be talking about that horrible school system in later podcasts, but let's continue. At the age of 12, I would sometimes ride my bike around different parts of my city, and I'd go door to door and witness to complete strangers about Jesus. And at the age of 16, I had a street ministry. I was sold out and radical for Jesus I was a loud and proud Pentecostal. I was so devoted to the cause that I skipped out on my own high school graduation to go on a missions trip thousands of miles down to Mexico. I sold my car, my souped-up Camaro, which Massachusetts people refer to as a Camaro. And on graduation day, when others were walking across a stage in cap and gown, I was staying in what used to be a brothel and doing street ministry to people who didn't even speak my language. Now let me stop right there. If you think that I'm boasting, I'm really not. That's not my intention at all. I am just letting you know the supreme height of the cliff that I later nosedived off of. Growing up, I loved church. I lived church. I was there for Sunday school, Sunday service, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth night. I went to Christian schools with Bible studies and chapel services. And even on weekends, my friends and I would walk through the mall talking about Jesus and the Bible. I did the math and I figured out that I have listened to 10,000 sermons in my life. now I'm going to be honest with you. I think I can only remember about three of them. If there's anything I could tell you about my life as a church-going, church-devouring, church-eating, sleeping, breathing, drinking, church-addict, it's this. My decades have earned me a doctorate on how not to be a follower of Jesus. you know On top of being your friendly neighborhood superhero, I am also proud to be a home care aide. Being a home care aide brings me joy and meaning as I get to help physically and mentally disabled clients live more independent and fulfilling lives. Just a few weeks ago, I had one of my clients over my apartment to watch the new Godzilla vs. Kong movie. It was really, really cool and I recommend it. In this movie, the two titans, King Kong and Godzilla, battle each other to the death. The plot of the story explains that Godzilla and Kong are titans who have battled historically in the past. An ancient rivalry exists between the primate Kong and Godzilla's dinosaur-slash-reptile-slash-amphibian history. Rest assured, in this movie, Kong and Godzilla battle it out several times for supremacy, and just when you think it couldn't get any more badass, another titan appears on the scene ready to fight. Sorry for spoiling it if you haven't seen it yet, but in this movie, Mecha Godzilla appears, a giant, robotic, militarized version of Godzilla. And let me tell you, this thing was a beast. Mechagodzilla, stronger and fiercer than even the real Godzilla, quickly tears up the scene, establishes its dominance, makes quick work of destroying anything in its path. The movie was great. Visually, artistically, creatively, my client was on the edge of his seat the entire movie. It was so cool to see. After the movie, my client asked me which titan I liked more, King Kong or Godzilla. While pondering his question, he informed me that he liked King Kong the best. But then my client asked me another question. He asked me which Godzilla I liked best, Godzilla?" or the real thing. And for some reason, his question echoed in my mind long after that day ended. The decades of my life have predestined me, if you will, to look at things through a religious light. I can't help it. Even as I walk away from organized religion, I can't help but continue to see the world through the lens of Christianity, to have the POV, the point of view, of someone who views all that is through the eyes of the religious. So which did I prefer, Godzilla or the mechanical imitation Mechagodzilla? I could spin that question and ask, Christians, who do you prefer? the biblical Jesus as presented in the four Gospels, or the Mecca Messiah, the corporate Pauline creation, the bastardized, mechanized version? You see, I spent my entire youth in young adulthood, addicted to church, thinking in my naive trusting mind that church was the place to go to to learn about Jesus and the best place to go to to learn how to be his follower. I could not have been more wrong. This podcast is dedicated to revealing the abusive structure that made Christianity something toxic instead of beneficial to the world. In the movie Godzilla vs. Kong, there was a weaponized, mechanized, militarized copycat of the flesh-and-blood Godzilla, and unfortunately, the Christian Church has suffered the same fate. Far from being a belief system in the life and teachings of a holy man and Messiah, the missional church has morphed into the militant church. Webster's Dictionary defines the church militant as the Christian church on earth regarded as engaged in a constant warfare against its enemies, the powers of evil. And I wonder, how many of us remember this song from our youth at church? The song says, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery, I may never zoom over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. That's just one example of the intentional militarization of churchgoers. The missional church has morphed into the militant church. Robert A. Gulick wrote, In Spiritual Warfare, Jesus, Paul, and Peretti that the image of spiritual warfare has a long and rich history in the life of the Church. Its roots lie in the New Testament, Constantine made it into a political agenda, the Crusades made it into a holy war against the infidels, and Martin Luther gave it a classic Reformation expression in his A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I decided to look online to see if I could find some proof of the militarization of Christianity. Well, here are some names of some actual youth groups. The first youth group I found was named Army, which stands for Anointed, Reigning, Mighty Youth. I found other actual youth group names as well, like Army of God, Anti-Gravity, Audacious, Blast, Battle Ready, Basic Training, Battalion, do you see a theme developing here? And we're only on letter B Blaze, Brigade. There's actually a youth group named CIA, which stands for Christians in Action. Chaos, Collide, Conquerors. This is beginning to sound like the name of Fortnite characters or WWE wrestlers instead of a place you send your impressionable kid to. Contenders, Combustion, Driver, Epidemic. Nothing so far about showing love or feeding the hungry or healing the sick. Free Radicals, Fusion, God Squad, Ground Zero. Nothing about being a good Samaritan or being a friend of sinners. And what militant list of youth group names would be complete without the name of Warriors. An actual gang name. Followed by Defeaters. And here's the name, Revolutionaries. Which apparently is okay for your youth group's name so long as you're not with Black Lives Matter or trying to get rights for LGBTQ people or trans people. But if you're just a Bible kid who wants to appear a little bit edgy, the name's for you. I think the stupidest youth group name I found in my search was Unfaltering Force. I think I looked at a hundred youth group names all over the world. Lots of boasting, lots of bragging, but not one damn word about love. But folks, that's the way the militant church wants it to be. I could keep going on and on and on, giving you example after example of how church people, especially the young, are being militarized into world-hating, God-shouting soldiers, in the world but not of it, in your face and not ashamed of it. The names and slogans they make for good shirts but at the expense of completely missing out on the core message of the Gospels. Just like Mecca Godzilla, the militant church is a mechanical beast. It has a Mecca Messiah as its savior. But unfortunately, this Messiah is nothing like the original. Whereas in the Bible, Jesus was a friend of sinners and an enemy of the religious establishment. The Mecca Messiah is a world hating, church loving saint. Whereas the Jesus of the Gospels was a drinker who associated with murderers and outsiders, the Mecca Messiah is an abstainer who doesn't touch the unclean thing. Whereas Jesus was constantly being judged for what he was doing, the Mecca Messiah is constantly judging others always scanning society, looking for conspiracies and new enemies, always drawing a new line in the sand against gays and atheists and socialism and anything else that goes bump in the night. Whereas Jesus was always outside about his father's business, the Mecca Messiah has a building that your tithes paid for and that you are supposed to go to. Whereas Jesus said to sell all that you have and give to the poor, the Mecca Messiah preaches riches and prosperity as proof of godly acceptance. Whereas Jesus in the four Gospels warned his disciples publicly and repeatedly against the religious establishment and their hypocrisy, the Mecca Messiah has a different list of people doomed to hell. Whereas Jesus warned the public that the proud religious people were going to be rejected on Judgment Day, the Mecca Messiah He looks like he's a Republican convention of suits and ties. Business insiders, all pointing the finger of doom at gays and trans people. Whereas Jesus never once even mentioned anyone from the gay community, the Mecca Messiah is obsessed with demonizing them. I'm reminded of the words of the notorious Mark Driscoll former pastor of the now-defunct Mars Hill Church in Seattle, a church that I actually lived at for nine months. Mark once said, and I quote, I refuse to worship a Jesus I could beat up. The saddest thing about Mark's ridiculous words is that Jesus didn't have a problem with getting beaten up for Mark. So, Mark, who's the real man, huh? The Gospels do record a time when Jesus got very angry. John 2.14 says that in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers at their business. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all with the sheep and oxen out of the temple And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. You shall not make my father's house a house of trade. I guess that right there is a little bit proof of a militant Jesus, a macho messiah, so to speak. It does present a literal weaponized Christ. But see, what this story is talking about is something that pastors and evangelists and so-called prophets always conveniently gloss over, almost without stopping. They love the part of where he turned over tables. They love the part of where he kicked people out. They love the part of where he cleaned house, but they never say that it was their own damn house that he was cleaning. Jesus wasn't kicking ass on a gay bar. Jesus wasn't kicking in the doors of a middle school that had locked him out and banned prayer. Jesus wasn't going over to Europe somewhere to some atheist country and saying, let me in. Jesus was clearing his own church because his own church had religious leaders that had winked at corruption. Just like today, it was to clear corruption and abusers out of the church. Not once do we find Jesus displaying violence against the unchurched. Not once. Not once do we see him declaring war on the world outside. When Jesus crafted a whip and went to town, using it to punish people, he was using it to clear out the very people who had turned the temple into what we have now, a place for pastors to get rich off of the poor. He was waging a war, not against the gays, not against the liberals, not against the socialists, not against the atheists. He was waging a war against the corrupt church that had made the church into a business. The militarized church is militant because it doesn't follow the commands of its savior. Far from it. It takes its marching orders from the very book that made the religious leaders of the day into the enemies of Jesus. Instead of turning the cheek, going the extra mile for someone, healing the sick, giving to the poor, we have churches exalting it in the imperialism, almost worshipping the Old Testament, where villages were looted and men were slaughtered and women and children were taken by force, and always, always by the words, thus saith the Lord. When the militant church dresses the savior for battle, they are putting him in the battle garments pulled, not from Mark or Matthew or Luke or John. It's from the book of Joshua. It's from the Psalms. It's from the Pentateuch. It's from the warrior texts. And they do this intentionally because the tribalism of the militant church doesn't get a testosterone kick from a savior who lays his life down or from a religious leader who demands that you give to whoever demands something of you. The Bible is a book of warfare, and the militant church lusts for battle, drawing up enemies, building walls, and culling the flocks, always culling the flocks. For sure, the militant church would rather burn the harvest than share it. I once knew a pastor from Dartmouth, Massachusetts. He was a really nice guy, and I don't want to tell you his name. But I will tell you this. I used to go to the movies with him, and once I even had the delight of going to see a Broadway musical in Boston with him. It was a really good time. In all those years, I never heard him raise his voice once. But one time, when we were casually riding together in a car... He said something that's bothered me to this day. His words perplexed me. They keep coming back to my mind. One day when we were driving, he said, I don't like it when pastors say that we should be like Jesus. Do you? He said, I never tell anyone in my church that they should be like Jesus. I don't think that's good advice. Jesus was a rebel. Jesus stood up against the religious elite. Jesus cleared the temple. I don't want the kids of youth acting like that. Nah, I prefer the Apostle Paul. His words stunned me, and it took a long time for me to realize why. Jared, I said, a pastor of a church with a cross on the wall a church that preaches that salvation comes only from Jesus. This church has a pastor who doesn't want people to be like him. Instead of being like Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, he'd rather they be like Paul? A man who never met Jesus? A man who never studied under Jesus? A man whose words caused division and separation wherever he went? A man who either wrote or had forgeries written that crushed the spirit of women all over the world? If you are a pastor of a church and you are afraid of the life or the teachings or the actions of Jesus you might just be in the wrong religion. Speaking of sheep and leaders, I'd like to end this podcast with a short story. This story comes right from the Gospels and says that after Jesus was arrested, the Roman government agreed that the Jewish public could have a prisoner freed and given back to them. They had a choice. The Roman government was willing to set Jesus free, who was in jail waiting to be crucified the same Jesus who had just earlier been heralded as a Messiah to the people, the same Jesus who had healed the sick and fed the hungry and raised the dead and preached deliverance to captives, the same who assured the meek and the powerless right outside that they would have prime place in the coming kingdom of God. This Jesus could be released to these people if they wanted. Rome agreed, you can have this man. We will return him to you. Or you can have another. The same people who followed after Jesus, who shouted his name, who joined his crowd, who ate his food, who drank his wine, who watched him heal the sick and raise the dead. These were the very same people who that day instead called for Barabbas, the criminal, to be released. Barabbas was a political warrior, a man of action and violence. The people rejected the Messiah of peace and instead chose a Messiah of war, a Mecca Messiah. That was 2,000 years ago. We shouldn't be surprised that 2,000 years later, the so-called followers of Jesus are still at it, just as fickle, and still in love with militarized, mechanized leaders. I'm Zawan Green. This is Exit Up. Thanks for listening.